Jesus taught many lessons and gave a lot of guidance during his ministry. Sometimes that included correction for those who were either misunderstanding or in the case of the spiritual leaders of the day, outright rebellious and abusive. Welcome to A Walk in the Word, where we bring you the Sunday sermons from Providence Baptist Church Gaston's worship services. In this week's sermon, Pastor John Friedrich explains how the very things Jesus chastised the leaders for, we can be guilty of as well. Let's join in as Pastor Friedrich preaches a message entitled, Woodshed Education, from Matthew chapter 23. All right, it's good to be gathered around God's Word with you guys this morning as we gather and look at God's Word and see what He has to say to us. Uh, as I said, we're going to be in Matthew 23. You're going to be reading verses 1 through 12 this morning. 1 through 12. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to His disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not, for they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them up with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments, and love the uppermost rooms at feasts, and the chief seats in the synagogues. And greetings in the markets, and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But be not ye called Rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ. And all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we have together, Lord. We thank you for just who you are, Lord. You're an awesome and mighty God, Lord. You're truly worthy of all praise and honor. And Lord, we just stand in awe of your goodness to us. And Lord, now as we step into your word, we just ask that you help us to prepare our hearts and our minds. Help us to be open and accepting to all the truths that you have for us today. Help us to soak it in, take it, let it take root within our lives, Lord, that we might bear fruit that brings honor and glory to you. And Lord, I know I'm not worthy to be the one to stand here today, but Lord, just use me as your instrument. Take away anything that could in any way interfere. Pride, selfishness, distraction, whatever it might be, Lord, just take it away that I might become your vessel, that I might speak only the words that you've given me through the Spirit. And Lord, help us as a church as we continue to push forward to make the right decisions in accordance with your purposes and your will, that we might always be serving you and never serving ourselves. And Lord, as individuals, help us to go through our days seeing opportunities to share your gospel, seeing opportunities to be your hands and feet with all those that we come in contact with, whether it be in our communities, in our workplaces, in our schools, whatever the case may be, Lord. And Lord, forgive us of those times that we have sinned against you and chosen to take our own path over yours. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus' ministry spanned uh, a number of uh, years, three years, and he started off his ministry. Uh, the first basically public sermon he's preached was the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, as we uh, often know it. And at the t other end of the spectrum, he uh, closed it out with a number of things, and this is actually an instance, what we read this morning, 
with one of the sermons that publicly that he spoke, uh, his last message actually, uh, in his public ministry. And we see several things going on during this time period. First, early in the chapter, he points out to those that had gathered around during this time that there was a problem with the religious leaders of the day. And these verses are addressing that specific issue. And, which is interesting because the religious leaders you would expect to be the ones who are setting the example, the ones that need to be well, who the people look to. But Jesus is saying, no, we've got a problem here. There's actually a problem with those who would be the leaders of their faith. <clears throat> and he's describing the scribes and the Pharisees. And these were like the top of the charts as far as religious leaders. They were the uh, religious elect. And, but there were a lot of problems with how they were living their lives, with how they were teaching, and, and their examples that they were making. And so because of that, Jesus calls them out. Jesus publicly calls out the religious leaders and labels them as false teachers even so much. <clears throat> and he points out uh, a lot of the different areas in which they're failing spiritually. So after a brief while, Jesus suddenly redirects the message, though, specifically speaking to the people that he had spoken to the others about. You see, the shift goes from speaking to the gathered crowds about the religious leaders, and then suddenly he redirects and talks specifically to those individuals. And what he does, he redirects the message and he speaks to them, declaring eight different woes. Now, we didn't get into that. This it wasn't a part of our reading this morning, and I encourage you in your own time to read what those eight woes were. <clears throat> because they contain some additional accusations. <clears throat> Excuse me. But for the sake of this morning's message, we're not going to get into those eight woes. So, like I said, if you would go ahead and look at those later on, not right now. Don't. Uh, I don't want you to take your attention away from what God is saying right now, but read those later on. And it's interesting to note how Jesus references as a fact that these religious leaders actually sit in Moses' seat as interpreters, as teachers of the law, and then tells the people, all therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, and then effectively discounts them as teachers. Now this might come across as confusing initially, because Jesus is saying, what they're teaching you, observe it. But then turns around and says, they're false teachers. And if we don't take a closer look at this, we don't realize what Jesus is saying is for the people to do as they're taught, not as they do, if that makes any sense. Do as the law says, but not as the Pharisees do. Meaning they are to follow the law. Don't let what the Pharisees do make an example for them that they don't have to regard it. But rather, do as they or the law says, not as the Pharisees do. And it's important because it reminds us that regardless of where we find ourselves, under whatever spiritual leadership we may have, we are ultimately still accountable to the Word of God. It doesn't matter what our spiritual leaders are doing. It doesn't matter what uh, the pastors or whatever does. We are still accountable to God for what the Word of God says. Even if they are not living that way, even if they are disregarding things, we are still accountable. And we must remember that. 
So nonetheless, we must acknowledge and respect for the office that Jesus is expressing here, just as he did in Romans 13.1, where he said, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God, and the powers that are ordained of God. So, once again, it goes back to, we respect the authority of the offices as they are appointed above us, but we don't ever act, regardless of what they may say, in contrast to the Word of God. And this applies both to religious leaders and to our civil leaders. Regardless of what the civil laws that might be passed, regardless of what they say is right or wrong, if it is in violation or contradiction to God's Word, we do not obey. We follow God's Word and God's Word alone. Alright? So now, this message that's delivered by Jesus clearly is focused on specifically the false teachers and the effect that they can have on those that are under their teaching. And it would be easy to assume that given this, the truths presented in these passages are intended to be spiritual guidance exclusively for the leaders of the church. The teachers, the deacons, the preachers. And they certainly hold some value in that respect. They certainly have certain applications along those lines. But they're also a warning for those not in leadership as to what characteristics to look for. Telltale signs of a false teacher or a false preacher. But as with all of Scripture, once we have studied and explored the verses, we need to understand context as well. And seeing what the Holy Spirit reveals, we need to ask a question. What is the application for us to be derived from this? What are we to take away from God's Word? Because as if, as, as, is with every other bit of God's Word, nothing is wasted. Not a, not, a, not a single dot or tittle or letter or anything of God's Word is wasted. All of it has application in some way, shape, or form. All of it is a revelation of God. So we need to ask ourselves that question. What should we take away from this? What is God revealing him about himself that is intended for me to be more like his son as a result? And I believe when we ask ourselves this question about this chapter, we're going to discover that many of the behaviors that are described by the scribes and Pharisees are sinful actions that we as disciples of Christ can be guilty of. And not, necess not necessarily in a slightly different application. So today what I want to do is I want to explore some of these behaviors and what are they going to look like in our lives if we are guilty of it? What does it come across as when we are doing the very same things that Jesus is calling out these religious leaders for? What mindsets? What actions? So let's go ahead and dive in and we'll take a look at what it is telling us. And the first one I'm going to call uh, walking the talk. Now... Hypocrisy is one of the most common accusations that we as Christians face every single day. How many times have you heard Christians referred to as hypocrites? It's usually used in a negative connotation as a put down, not necessarily as a constructive criticism. It's a rallying cry for those who refuse to be a part of the Christian faith. Now we've got to acknowledge something though before we go any further with that. We as believers are not perfect, and I hope that's not news to you. 
We are not perfect. We do make mistakes. Despite our deepest desires to obey and our very best efforts to follow God's law and His guidance in our lives, we will stumble from time to time. It's an unfortunate byproduct of the fact that we still exist here in the flesh. Wouldn't it be great if when we got saved, it's like, boom, we're out of here. We're gone. But we're not. We're left to remain here to further God's kingdom, to expand His borders, to teach others the Word of God, to give them the opportunities to accept the gospel just as we were given that opportunity. And as such, we remain in our fleshly bodies. And we are subject to temptation. So we're going to stumble. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to sin from time to time. But that doesn't mean we brush it off as inconsequential. We don't just say, oh well, I sinned again. Who cares? Big deal. I'm forgiven, right? Do we take a lackadaisical attitude like that about our sin as Christians? Absolutely not. We as Christians should be heartbroken about our sin. It should just burden us when we fail God in that respect. We've got to acknowledge that we have sinned. Own up to it. Don't make excuses. Don't try to blame somebody else for your failings. Own your sin. Say, I have sinned. It is my fault. Not the devil's. Not society. Not somebody else. It is my fault. Own it. Repent of it. The word repent, remember, means what? It means to turn away from. It means literally to turn your back on it and walk away. It doesn't mean, oh, I say I'm sorry and everything's good. No. It means you have a physical or a spiritual desire to turn away from that sin. I don't want to go down that road again. So own it. Repent of it. And then don't try to sweep it under the rug or anything. Learn from it. How did I get myself into this circumstance? What did I do that put myself in a vulnerable position to be tempted? And live your life in such a manner you don't put yourselves in compromising positions. You don't walk into temptation. Temptation is going to find you, I assure you. You don't need to invite it. Learn from it and don't make light of it. Don't brush it off. Don't make it a a minor thing. We've got to face these times head on. But this isn't what Jesus is talking about here. What Jesus is talking about is a life that cares little about the law and everything about self. This is what he is calling the Pharisees and scribes out about. He's calling them out about, you don't really care about the law. You don't really care about God's law. All you care about is yourself. Living a life that seems to indulge itself with little or no thought for any obedience to the faith that they are trying to teach others. You know, there's a lot of damage that can be done by someone who espouses spiritual obedience, someone who teaches and preaches the the obedience to God's Word and yet performs worldly self-indulgence in their life and lives in a manner that is totally disconnected from what they're teaching and preaching. We've seen it. 
You don't have to look far. We've seen it in the news. We've seen it uh, in these televangelists. We've seen it in other preachers and teachers and Sunday school teachers and, and all across the spectrum. We've seen those that live a total different way from the way that they are teaching and preaching. It's tantamount to somebody who says, man, who sells, let's say he sells Dodge vehicles, right? He sells Dodge cars and trucks. Man, there's nothing better than a Dodge truck. This is what he's telling people. Nothing better than a Dodge truck. And we see him driving down the road in his own vehicle and he's in a Ford. Wait a minute, what's... You just said there's nothing better than a Dodge. Why are you driving a Ford? We're going to start to doubt the things that that person is saying, right? If he's not living the way that he is teaching and preaching, that instills no confidence in those observing, knowing that the person doesn't have confidence in the very things that he's teaching. He doesn't have any worth in those things that he's preaching. And while this is extraordinarily important for those in leadership positions in the church, it is absolutely no less critical for all believers. Because we remember we are going out into the world. It's one thing to gather together in our churches and, and, and to be a certain way in our churches, but those behaviors have to extend out. We go out in the world and believe me, others are watching us. They're observing how we live knowing what we espouse in our faith. We submerge ourselves out and amongst those who need to be shown the value of a life that is surrendered to Christ, surrendered to obedience to Christ. What's more is, although I think this goes without saying, but God places no value in lip service. Recall Jesus' discussion with the chief priests and the elders when he was teaching in the temple where he shared these words as an indictment against their lives. Spent teaching the law, but not living it. He says in Matthew 21, 28 through 31. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he went not. Whither of them twain did the will of his father? They said unto him the first. Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go before into the kingdom of God before you. We can pay lip service all we want to God. We can come into the church and sing the songs of Zion. We can worship him. We can praise him. We can pray to him. But if we are not living the things that we espouse in our faith, God doesn't buy any of it. We must be willing to live what we believe. A refusal to do so is an indicative of an unchanged life. A person who is the same after the profession of faith as they were before is someone who has suspiciously, possibly not truly been born again. Another thing that Jesus calls them out for is a secret craving for praise. Secret cravings of praise. Jesus mentioned how the Pharisees made broad their phylacteries and enlarged the borders of their garments. Now, if you think back to the Old Testament, remember, it describes what the phylacteries are. They were the little boxes that they had that they kept Scripture verse in. And they wore them either on the back of their hand or on their foreheads. Right? 
Well, there are some, I believe it or not, that still do that today. I've seen pictures of uh, Israel in that area where there are still some folks that do this. But for the most part, it doesn't really, it isn't really practiced anymore. And the garments that the Lord was referring to were the prayer shawls that we often see folks wearing in those areas. And what they were trying to do by making these things bigger than normal, the phylacteries and the prayer shawls, the borders of the prayer shawls, they were making them larger than normal. They were trying to show just how pious they were, how religious they were. People would see this and they would marvel, oh man, these guys must be really faithful to their, to their, their faith. They must really take their command, the commands of God to the next level. Kind of a go big or stay home mindset, right? Now when you think about this, what is the point? The Levitical law doesn't state anything about blowing these up larger than normal. In fact, nowhere in the law does it say or even imply that the bigger the better, the larger the louder, or something is done in obedience carries greater level of righteousness. So it's clear that Jesus said that they do these things to be seen by others. It's the only reason why they would be doing it. Make it bigger so everybody can see. Kind of like the prayers that they did oftentimes. Very loud and, and, and make it sure that people around them heard them. So... These men sought satisfaction from the fact that people noticed their piousness, their righteousness, their religiousness. This is why they went out of the way to make sure that people noticed in prayers and in actions. And even in their periods of fasting, they made it obvious to others. Now, we might look at this. We look at these things that the, they were doing and say, I don't do anything like that. As far as I can tell, and you probably don't wear large phylacteries or large bordered garments. You probably don't make a point in loud prayers on the corner, street corners. But we sometimes do the same thing only with a different approach. Honestly, and not to yourselves, answer these questions. And perhaps it'll expose the same types of mentalities. When you do things at the church or in the community for the Lord, do you make a point of interjecting that into conversations? Not necessarily in a boastful way, but just to make sure it comes up. Do the things you adorn your car or person with to show that you're a Christian, is that done so that people will notice you and say, oh, that person must be a good person? And how about, let's be honest, we are in church after all. Do you find pleasure in people patting you on the back for the things you do of the Lord? There are a number of similar questions I could ask. But I'm going to ask this one question of you as a response to them. Is God's approval not enough? I mean, isn't knowing that God approves and is pleased with our acts of obedience, isn't that sufficient for us? And what's even worse is that the works are done in the name of the Lord for selfish reasons will not bring God's approval. Luke 16, 15. And he said unto them, Ye are which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. 
For that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Notice at the ends of the verses that we read this morning, Jesus was talking about those that will be uplifted will be abased. You try to promote yourself, you're going to make yourself lower. It really comes down to this question. Who is the real benefactor of your service to God? You or someone else? Do you serve Him so that you can gain something from it? Whether it be praise or heavenly rewards or recognition or whatever? It may be that your faithfulness to the Lord's work makes you feel somehow superior to others. Or having some sort of title within the church gives you some sort of sense of accomplishment rather than simply seeing as it a calling of God. You know, this can come in many forms. But it all amounts to the same thing. It's prideful, it's self-centered, and it's distasteful to God. The next point I'm bring up is what I'm calling law, letter, or spirit. Now, the Pharisees had done something quite peculiar in their observance of the law. Effectively, they had inverted or switched the significant and the insignificant. And by this, what I mean is that there are many requirements of the law that were considered small or minor. And they made a real big deal about these in their observance. Taking the exactness down to the letter, observance, to the almost excruciating levels. They take these little things, and man, they were to the minutiae of it, just taking it and obeying it to the very much, to the absolute exacting levels. But in the things that were considered very important, they were effectively ignoring them. Basic ethical treatment of others, judgment, faith, mercy. Those are the things that they were ignoring to follow these little itty-bitty rules. They were ignoring the spirit of the law and obeying just a small letter of it. This is along the same lines of what's referred to in 1 Samuel 15.22. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken that the fat of rams. Our sacrifices don't mean a thing if we're acting in rebellion. Come to church, sing the songs, pray the prayers, and we go out and live like the world, it doesn't mean a thing. It's not that parts of the law didn't matter, but rather that some were simple religious observances while others dealt with the overall thrust of obedience of God and that reflected His nature toward others. Now, it's important to understand that this doesn't mean that there are unimportant matters of observance and obedience in the Bible. It just implies that there are bigger, as Jesus put it, weightier parts. One of the points Jesus made that fell under this thinking had to do with oaths. He pointed out that they had rules where there were under certain circumstances a person's oath was valid and others where they didn't consider it valid. In reality, these were just man-made laws to justify sinning. Because it should be that any oath we make before God was meant to be kept. It's kind of like the things that we think are insignificant because they're so common. Because they're so common and people do it so often that nobody ever thinks twice about it. Things like little white lies, gossip, materialism. 
Most people wouldn't give those things a second thought if a Christian did it because it's so common to the world. It's not even considered wrong. But the reality of it is it is wrong. Because the bigger picture is that we are to be conformed to the image of Christ. And those are things that he wouldn't do. So effectively, rather than obeying only those things that would bring attention to our actions, the Spirit of God's Word requires obedience under all circumstances. Not that little things are allowed to sneak by, but all circumstances. The last piece that we're going to talk about today, I'm referring to as outward image or inward purity. One of the most blistering rebukes in all of Scripture that Jesus made to the Pharisees, and it echoes throughout time to shake us up and make us have a serious evaluation of our actions as Christians. Are we focused on outward purity, or in other words, our outward image? There are different levels of this consideration here, and in the most extreme cases, religion simply becomes a front for a soul whose eternal destination remains unchanged. David Platt made this comment about religion, and I thought it was very powerful. He said, religion is a subtly dangerous cover up for spiritual deadness. Many people use their practice of religion as a cover-up to the fact that spiritually they are dead. That they are not living for Christ. We don't put on our faith like it's some new expensive coat to hide a dying man inside. Unfortunately, I think there are a lot of people that see Christianity this way. They see it as a, a life where if you try to live by the rules, you try to do good as much as you can, going to church on Sundays and maybe Wednesdays, so they can be a good example. But the reality of it is that this amounts to nothing but legalism. It's a death sentence shrouded behind a religious existence. And the sad truth is that there are probably millions of people living this existence. But there's a lesser form of this as well. In this case, the person is genuinely saved. But rather than allow God to work through them, to transform them from the inside out, they see the salvation experience as a starter's pistol. To race, to see how much and for how long they can be obedient. They carefully try to do good. Now don't get me wrong, we are supposed to live a life of obedience. But we don't live that way to change the person we used to be. Instead, our focus should be allowing God to change us. We are changed from the inside out, not the outside in. And when God changes us, it starts from within and results begin to surface as increased obedience, clarity of purpose in following God's will, acting more and more like the one who gave us life in the first place, that we might have opportunity to be changed. It requires spiritual growth, spiritual nurturing, spiritual nourishment. And these things can only come from the Lord. This is why the salvation experience is referred to as the new birth. A newborn baby requires nourishment, requires nurturing in order for him to, or her to grow correctly, to grow properly. The, the spiritual new birth is no different. It requires nurturing, it requires nourishment. It is the beginning of a new life, 
the sudden transformation, but that has got to be done correctly and requires a lifetime of growth from inside out. Change is radical and it's life-altering. But it only can through, happen through the power of Jesus Christ. We cannot do it ourselves. We cannot just decide one day, I'm going to live a better life. I'm going to be a better obedient person. It comes through the transforming power of Jesus Christ Himself. When God calls us and we answer, when we recognize our sinfulness before God, recognize our need for a Savior, recognizing we have nothing to offer God to make us acceptable to Him. Nothing. In fact, everything we have is repulsive to Him. Our sin, our disobedience, our unrighteousness, when we recognize that and we admit to our sins, when we confess our sins and recognize that there is a punishment due for those actions, then that Jesus has taken on that punishment. He has taken the full wrath of God on the cross of Calvary for your sins and for mine. When we recognize that, that He died for us and rose again three days later, that is what brings about the new birth. It is transformative, it is awakening, and it is unbelievable when it occurs to you. It is unlike anything you'll ever experience before. Have you experienced that new birth? Have you experienced the transformation that comes from accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If not, let the Lord speak to you today and let Him transform you from the inside out. Let's stand as we pray. Heavenly Fathers, we come before Your throne this morning. We are grateful that we have had this time together, Lord. And Lord, we thank You for the truths and the guidance that Your Word provides for us, Lord. Help us to, to see the direction, see the guidance that you provide for us through your word, Lord, and help us to live those things and to let them transform us and shape us into the Christians you want us to be, into the servants you desire us to be, Lord. Let us live a life that brings glory and honor to you and to you alone. Let us never become self-serving in any way. Let us not ever get hung up on trying to do things for our purposes, for our good, for our desires. And let us always be focused on serving you for your honor and glory and your purposes. And Lord, just have your will and way in all the lives today. If there's anybody here at the sound of my voice that has never declared you the Lord and Savior of their lives, never allowed that transformative spirit to enter into them, let this be the day they do so, Lord. And Lord, we love you and praise you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in next time for another Walk in God's Word. Podcasts are available in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music and Audible, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, TuneIn, CastBox, Downcast, and BeyondPod. Search for and subscribe to Providence Baptist Church space-space Gaston Sermons. Until next time, may God bless you as we await his joyful return.
Hi, this is John Friedrich, pastor of Providence Baptist Church. It's my prayer that our time together has helped you grow in your walk with God, or maybe he's even used it to guide you to discover the wonderful gift of salvation. If you're ever in our area, we would love for you to come worship with us. Our address is Providence Baptist Church, 977 Metafield Road, Gaston, South Carolina, 29053. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so through our website at www.providencembcgaston.com or email us at providencembcgaston at gmail.com. Again, thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to you joining us next time as we take a walk in the Word.